receive the love of the eternal Father as is evidenced through Jesus, and then you can understand the power of the love of the one that we know as Abba, Father, and gives us the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, one God in three persons. Living the antidote to worry, fear, and anxiety. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. All of us have fallen short in our relationship with God. Our response to sin is often the first step in a spiral away from God's grace. So what's the answer? Here's David in a message he calls, The Way, The Truth, The Life. In our culture right now, we have a lot of debates going on about gender. And I'm not getting into all the war with gender pronouns right now. I'm not going to go into the misgendering possibilities that all of us may face. What I do want to talk about, though, is the importance of fathers. Jesus is the one who called God his daddy and told us to pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. Uh, Many fathers are missing in action in our culture right now. Uh, There are a number of children, some estimate up to 70% will be born into fatherless homes. Uh, Dear friends, fathers aren't add-ons. And as we see the statistic as well, that men 20 to 34 years of age, 70% aren't married and don't plan on having children. Uh, That means that fatherlessness will only increase uh, and we'll see children brought up in homes that have no understanding of who father is. But that's also seeping into theological debates as well, Uh, for there are progressive theologians who are trying to misname and rename God, calling him mother, trying to give him eternal mothering characteristics. Now, you need to know that I see those in the Bible, but they are metaphorical, not actual. And the metaphorical understandings of God as mother are seen when Jesus, for example, said to Jerusalem, How often I wanted to gather you under my wings as a mother hen does her brood, but you would not. I mean, a metaphorical understanding of the feminine characteristics of God, certainly, but here's the problem with the whole idea of trying to call God mother. Jesus didn't. And if Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, and he came to this earth, as we'll see in these verses momentarily, to mirror to us who God is, we need to understand that Jesus called God Father. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as many of you know, when Jesus was wrestling with the whole idea of going to the horrific pain of the cross, he called God Daddy. And he said, is there another way? And of course, Daddy said to him, no. And as Jesus called God Abba, the phrase for Daddy in the Aramaic during that day, Daddy, so can we. Similarly, knowing the intimate love of the daddy. Now, I understand, and I get it, that for some of you, you have rejected God because you have projected upon God your own earthly daddy, who was absent, who was angry, who was abusive, uh, who was hurtful, uh, who was just, bottom line, not a good dad or not there at all. Now, also, parenthetically, it could be that you lost your dad through death at an early age and just didn't have one present in your home. 
A, that was never God's original intent. He wanted every home to have a good, kind, tender, tough daddy who loved kids and was a guardian and a gardener of the garden in the home and served like a backstop. For those of you who love baseball illustrations, you know, the catcher might miss a ball, but there's a backstop behind him that will cause the ball to stop. Fathers are often the backstops in the home who should prevent those kind of ill effects of the society coming into the family. Again, fathers aren't add-ons. They are very important. Jesus called God our Father. And we need to recognize that that is throughout the Scripture. Now, noted that in the Old Testament, God is called Father only about 12 times. But interestingly, in the New Testament, Jesus alone calls God Father over 160 times. 160. And as we look at these verses that we're about to study right now, you will see him refer to Father 11 times alone. So two points here. First of all, Jesus wanted us to know the importance of God as Father. For those of you who had a bad daddy, Jesus wants you to look at the eternal daddy and see who he is, and that's what he intended you to have in your home, and let the eternal father replace your earthly father. Don't reject the father because you've projected your earthly father upon him. Receive the love of the eternal father as is evidenced through Jesus, and then you can understand the power of the love of the one that we know as Abba, Father, who revealed himself to us through Jesus in human flesh and gives us the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, one God in three persons. Now, what I've done in these verses, John 14, verses 1 through 14 today, is divided up them into three sections that all have to do with the Father. The first section will be the way to the Father, verses 1 through 6. The second one, the character of the Father, verses 7 through 11. And then how to communicate with the Father in verses 12 through 14. Let's get into these verses today. They are so powerful. The context is in the later part of John 13, Jesus had predicted that Peter would betray him. Peter said, I'll never do that. And of course, Jesus said, when the cock crows, the rooster crows in the courtyard later this evening, three times you will have denied me three times, and that's exactly what happened. If you missed a couple of weeks ago message, let me repeat this because it's so important. Jesus had two disciples who betrayed him, Peter and Judas. What's the difference? Judas went through with the betrayal, got upset, then threw the 30 pieces of silver back at the feet of the religious leaders, but then he went and hanged himself. Peter ran away as well, disappointed Jesus, but when he was convicted by the Holy Spirit, he didn't run away from Jesus and hang himself. He ran to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, and Jesus not only restored him, dear friends, Peter became the head of the entire church. There's no sin you've ever committed that's beyond the grace of God. There's nothing you've ever done that can't be redeemed and restored by the Lord. That is the truth he wanted Peter especially to know, as Judas had already left to betray him at this moment. And then Jesus said at the end of John 13, where I'm going, you can't go. And Peter asked the question, you know, where are you going? Now, here's what I think is going on with the other disciples after Judas had left. They had the expectation of Jesus establishing his messianic earthly kingdom, a Davidic kind of rule with a scepter and a sword to eliminate Rome from Israel, Israel reclaiming its rightful places, God's holy people in that holy land. And then when Jesus said, I'm going away, Peter's going, you can't go away. 
you, you just came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, a symbol of this King David's return into Jerusalem, and you can't go away because you've still got to restore Israel to that power and Davidic throne. You can't go away because that destroys our whole understanding of earthly kingdoms that you're going to establish here. And Peter was confused. I think the other disciples were confused. The thought of after three and a half years not having Jesus among them blew their minds. They didn't know what to do. And with that as background information, it will help you understand John 14, verse 1. Jesus said to these disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Their hearts were troubled because they said Jesus is going to leave. We're not going to have this kingdom established like we thought. What's going on here? And the word trouble there means terribly agitated. If you remember previously in John's gospel, we have two other times where Jesus says, my soul is troubled. It means really anxious, really overwhelmed, again, really agitated. But Jesus turns to them as they're going, what's going on here? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, let me make a quick statement here. I wrote a book entitled Overcoming Anxiety. And the purpose of the book was to help you understand how to overcome your heart being troubled. And in this verse, Jesus said, it's a choice whether you let your heart be troubled or not. Now, folks, let that sink in. It's your choice. You can either let your brain focus on the problem or focus on the Lord of the universe who's bigger than any problem you'll ever face. Paul said in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, take every thought captive. You are what you think. Whatever thoughts you let into your mind, that's what you eventually become. Those thoughts become feelings, and those feelings become actions. And you've got to control your thought life. But Jesus here clearly says you can. You can choose not to let your heart be agitated, overcome with anxiety. And my book is all about 12 practical steps that you can take to overcome anxiety. And, and we'll make that available to you free of charge. I don't make a penny off of them. I donated all my proceeds before the book was written to charities, to missions work. I don't care about making money through books. I do care that you read them, study them, and understand the truths that are there. And in that book, I try to encapsulate John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. It is your choice. Be transformed by controlling your thought life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And he continues, believe in God. Now, if you know the Greek, you know the tense of this is a command. You absolutely, completely believe in God. Then he goes on to say, believe also in me. A command, again, you put your mind, your thought life, your whole life into my hands. You give me complete control of your life. Believe in me. Believe in the Father in heaven. We're in sovereign control over every area of your life. When you get troubled, when you get anxious, when you get overcome by all the problems surrounding you, whether it's COVID or race riots or all the other problems in our culture and country, you give those thoughts to me and you choose to believe, trust in me. That is the antidote to fear, dear friends, faith in God and Jesus. It is that simple. Is it hard to live out? Absolutely. It is it a battle for your mind? Absolutely. But you can win it. You don't have to let worry, fear, and anxiety overcome your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also in me. Then John continues with Jesus' words, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. Now, the illustration here would have been clearly understood by Jesus' disciples, maybe not so much for us today, because it is a Jewish wedding illustration. It has to do with Jesus going to his Father's house and then coming back for us who believe and then going to a place where he has prepared already dwelling places. Uh, The earliest translations have mansions. Uh, Some have just rooms. I'll explain that to you in just a second. In Jesus' day, when a guy wanted to marry a girl, he would enter into a betrothal time period with the girl, and he would give her a written contract, which is like the Bible, which has 7,464 promises in it. It would be what's called a ketubah, a contract, a covenant of promises that he would make to the father and to the bride about how he would care for her. And then secondly, he would give her his most precious gift. If he was a silversmith, it'd be a silver chalice. If he was a goldsmith, it'd be something that he made of gold. And in Jesus, we have that same illustration. Jesus gives us his most precious gift as he pursues us, his bride. What is that? Himself. He gave himself on the cross. What more could he give? The most precious gift Jesus has given us is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And then the bridegroom would say to the father and the bride, I'm going to leave now, and I'm going to enter into this betrothal time period with you, usually about a year, and I'm going to go back to my father's house. And there I'm going to build on a room to my father's house, just like my father did for my mother, and I'll come back and get you. But I can't come back and get you until my father says the completion of that room has happened because only my father knows all the necessary requirements structurally and everything else for that room to be available. And doesn't that make some sense too? Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour that I'm coming back to get my bride. Only my father in heaven knows, Matthew 24, 36. So Jesus knew that that illustration was in their minds when he taught this. And he said, where am I going? To answer Peter's question, I'm going to my father's house. And there, I'm going to build on some rooms for all of you. And when they are completed, my daddy in heaven will say, go get your bride. Go get your bride. And in that day that the bridegroom would come back, most often unexpected, a lot at midnight, along with his best friend, a shofar would be blown, a trumpet would be blown, and he would go get his bride. And her job was just to be ready, to put a lampstand in the window that's always filled with oil, the light burning brightly to say to her beloved, I'm ready whenever you come back. And that for us is our position as we wait for Jesus to return. We're saying to him, I'm ready. Anytime my light, the oil of the Holy Spirit is in my heart, anytime you want to come back is fine with me. Only the Father knows. I don't know. I'm not going to predict the day or the hour. You told me not to do that, but I'm going to live in the absolute conviction. You're coming back any day now, and I just can't wait for that day to occur. Now, interestingly, in Revelation 21, uh, 
John talks about the new Jerusalem that is in heaven that's going to be our eternal home. It's talked about in the number of cubits in a square cube. Just bottom line, it is so large that if you took one quarter of the city of the new Jerusalem as described in Revelation 21, 20 billion people could live there. And that would leave the other three-fourths of the city for parks and fun kind of stuff where we're going to live. And then if you look at the 20 billion just in that one quarter, that means that all of us are going to have somewhere around 75 acres each. And we're going to have a dwelling place that exists there. Now, again, in the early uh, manuscripts of trying to describe what that word for dwelling places meant in the early King James Version. You have mansions. I'm sure some of you have heard that. They were just trying to describe what they thought was the right word for a beautiful, magnificent dwelling place. All I know to tell you is in years past, we just tried to find homes. Over the last 20 years, we now have customed homes, people who customize and make homes exactly the way the builder wants them to be and the, the person who's building the home for the buyer. And what we're going to have in heaven are custom homes on huge acres, maybe 75-acre lots. For those of you who've been to Hope Farm, that's about 127 acres. So it's almost about half of Hope Farm. You'll have a beautiful dwelling place that's customized for you, not like everybody else, not McMansions like we have here in our city that all look the same. Each one's going to be customized for you the way the Father knows you like homes to be so that you can enjoy it to the full. So you know, heaven's not going to be boring, folks. We're not going to sit around floating on a cloud all day long, playing on a harp, ho-hum, sleeping all the time. Heaven's going to be magnificent and a good bit of our eternity is going to be walking around our property and exploring it to the full and also walking around other people's property and exploring it to the full with our friends there because God's our Father, Jesus is our big brother, and everybody else is going to be in this dwelling place or our family in Christ. And we're just going to love to spend time together and be with one another. And we'll get to hear the testimonies of all the saints who went before us. And we're going to have to do some work for the Father who has special task that he has set aside for each one of us. And here's what Jesus said. I'm going there to prepare that place for you. And one day I'm coming back to get you. Now, some people think John 14 verses 1 through 3 are verses about the rapture and not uh, about the second coming. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with insights on the issue of privilege. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Jen. Great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you talked about how privilege and blessings come with responsibilities. I'd love to hear more about this. Well, let's start by addressing a subject that's in our culture today, and that is privilege. Mm -hmm. In some places, the idea of privilege is being despairing. Uh, It is looked down upon because you have something that I don't have, and you're trying to keep me from getting that. Well, the truth is, in the Bible, there are some people that are more privileged than other people. Jesus made that clear in the parable of the talents, for example. There are some people who have 10 talents. There are some people who have five talents. There are some people who have two talents. And if you try to create a society that is emphasizing equity, where that's equal outcomes. Everybody gets the same thing. Every kid gets a trophy, if you will. Mm -hmm. You are creating an impossible society to live in because everybody is gifted. So either the 10-talent person feels guilty for being 10 talents and falls into despair, the same with the 5-talent person, or the 2-talent person lives in envy of those with 5 and 10 talents, which causes despair, and you create a culture of darkness, discouragement, anger, and criticism of anybody different than you are. And that's Mm. what we have in our culture today. Instead, Jesus taught celebrate your talent or talents, plural. Mm. Enjoy what I have given you. One thing, though, if you have 10 talents, make sure you use them to create 10 more. If you have five talents, use them to create five more. If you have only two talents, don't bury them. Don't you become despairing and criticize other people because I'll come to you and I'll say, you lazy and slothful servant. If you only have two, celebrate the two, Mm -hmm. but use that to get two more. And then in the long run, what you want to do is create a society where everybody's using their giftedness to the full. And the one who has 10 talents, who creates 10 talents more, that person has created jobs and opportunities and blessings for other people in the culture as well. And Jesus seems to indicate that in heaven, those who were faithful with their 10 talents here, five talents here, or two talents here, they're going to have a responsibility in heaven with eternal rewards for how they've used their talents here. So Paul talks about in Romans 14, 12, how all of us will be held accountable for what we've been given one day in heaven. So use your gifts to the full. And when you have a privilege of extra giftedness, just make sure you understand the responsibility of using that talent, not to hoard for yourself, but expand and grow other opportunities for other people. I think this is brilliant. And one of my favorite characters in the Bible who lives this out kind of fails is Joseph. Yeah. In his image, 
maturity, he took that favoritism and he kind of held it up in front of his brothers. But look, in the end of the story, God had a purpose for the favor on his life to bless his family in that whole region. Yeah, you use what God has given you for his purposes. You yield in humility for his glory, and then he'll exalt you to the place of prime minister like he did Joseph, taking him from the pit to the prison to be the prime minister over all of Egypt. And that's what God wants for all of us as well. With every privilege, there's a responsibility. Use your privileges well to serve others. What a hopeful word for us today. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you, Jen, and all you listeners. If you'd like to receive from me a daily written moment of hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. From my heart to yours, free of charge, arriving in your mailbox every morning at 7 a.m. to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick senior pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.